Welcome to Moda Metier Visionaries podcast, where each month we speak to visionaries from the fashion and luxury industry. In today's podcast, I'm very honored to be joined by Emily Ree, who is the co-founder of Restory, an aftercare company that restores luxury handbags, shoes and clothes. The Restory combines art, craft and the power of technology to make your cherished items last forever, no matter what their state. I'm Neri Karasilaman, and this is the Moda Metier Visionaries podcast. Thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you and to meet you, even if it's just uh, virtually. Yeah, me too. I mean, everything now can be done virtually, which is exactly. which is also nice connecting everybody. Exactly. So can you tell us more about the Restory? Of course. So initially, it was really born out of my co-founder, Vanessa, our CEO's personal frustration, where she had shoes, she had bags, and she just didn't understand that there was nowhere she could go to get help to clean or, or restore and, and repair. We were then introduced by a mutual friend of mine who is one of the first employees of Vestia Collective in London. And for me, my passions really come from sustainability. And, and I've always wanted to make things last, I think, inherently. Uh, and I just absolutely loved the concept and, and thought there was the biggest market and opportunity out there with it. So alongside our third co-founder, her background is in design. Uh, she is very much created the amazing techniques, capabilities, and, and set that standard that we adhere to today, which is what makes us, you know, the first and, and the leading uh, aftercare provider for luxury fashion. So that was about five years ago. We started out of a house, so it was the three of us in a house, um, and, and now, you know, we've we got over 10,000 customers, wow. uh, we've done over 60,000 repairs. Um, so I think today it's very different. You know, we've, we've proven definitely from day one that everybody wants this. I think what's changed now is with sustainability, everybody in the fashion industry is very aware that we need to do this. And I think that's, that's the exciting shift after the past couple of years. That's amazing. I, it, I find it fascinating that you started from your house, just three people. I know. Well, everyone has to start somewhere. <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that's uh, the essence of entrepreneurship. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, the idea was born out of Vanessa's frustration with not uh, being able to to repair, to find a place to repair. Yeah. That's very interesting as well. And when you were, who was your first customer? Do you remember? So I think at the beginning, it was very much, um, Vanessa had previously been a management consultant at Accenture. So she decided to leave that to, to really pursue this. Um, she had kids. And I think at the beginning, it was very much like on the school run, you know, if anyone has anything. And, and it was really finding that audience. And, and, you know, Vanessa having the personal frustration, she she was the market for it. And those were the first customers. And and actually the customers at the beginning also then turned into some of our first investors because they saw the opportunity, they understood what they needed. I think one of the big shifts that we did was previously a lot of aftercare is, is quite focused on men, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's tailoring or cobblers, 
it's usually you know brogues and, and men's items and garments and for us it was very important to to focus that actually and show the care and capability also for women and, and be able to market towards women as we all knew i mean three female founders we all knew we all have a wardrobe full of our favorite things that we we want care and and repair and someone who we can trust those items with I see, I see on Instagram, and I, as I mentioned to you, I follow you guys on Instagram, and I see that you repair, you will find a missing button, or you will just yeah. repair things that you think they are, it's just impossible. How do you source that? I'm always curious when I watch your stories and reels, I'm always thinking to myself, how did you manage to find that? <laughs> I'm the same. Uh, when I see them, I'm also always in awe. I think it's... Uh, an incredible skill set and a craft. And I think, to be honest, that's, you know, I look after all the marketing and the business development, and that's something I was passionate about from the beginning, exactly as you recognize, you know, it is, it is a skill and it should be, it needed to be elevated. And as you watch on Instagram or all our content, you always see hands in it because everything is done by hand. And I think before, you know, we repositioned aftercare and, and really showed it as a luxury service and quality, you inherently thought it was a quick fix and it should be cheap and it's quite dirty and you know you don't value it in that same way and that's something that's been really important to us so we've got a team uh we have in-house and out-of-house providers we've got sort of nine curated trade partners so for capacity we manage and control the whole end-to-end -end process for the customer and i think that's the really crucial piece of offering luxury as an experience and, and, and something you can trust is, you know, every customer solely deals with the restory. We provide that whole customer experience and uh, we manage their expectation and, and everything they need. So we can't always source exactly the same piece. And if mm -hmm. we can't, we let the customer know and we make sure that they're empowered to make that decision. At the same time, our sourcing team is incredible. It is like finding a needle in a haystack and when we do find that, you know, we can obviously share with them if it's slightly different, otherwise we find the closest. And then we have relationships with brands. So we can then source actually the authentic pieces direct from the brands. So we launched with Manolo back in September and with them, obviously where there's missing hardware or bespoke product that we need to have for the repair, we can now have that directly from Manolo to offer that customer experience. So. It's, yeah, it is an amazing kind of process when you think of everything that has to come into it. Yeah, that's true. I know you have a partnership with Manolo and several other brands, I think Harvey Nichols. You... Yeah, so yeah. We, we basically started direct to customer. We really had to build the brand and category and kind of prove aftercare could be luxury. We could, and you know, have a trusted experience that customers could love. And in doing so, after the first year, actually, we then launched with Harvey Nichols. And then kind of in order, we then launched Selfridges, Harrods, Farfetch, Brown's Fashion, Manolo Blanik, and Nicholas Kirkwood. And we are just launching our first international partner, which will be with uh, Brown Thomas and Arnott's in uh, Ireland, which will continue to then grow out that international footprint. That's really incredible to start from and for, the, for everyone who is listening to us. And it's, it's very encouraging. You yes. start with three people from your home and today you have these incredible partnerships. And also 
what is you know we, we know it, this was going to be one of my questions for you later on but i'm going to ask it now <laughs> because we all know uh, recently there are many reports now in our industry repair recycle reuse this type of business model is a new business model that has come in to the fashion industry fashion and luxury industry there is a lot of reports as well analytical reports that say this is going to be uh, this this sector particularly this type of business models we are going to see more and more increase of an emphasis on that in our industry so how do you see the future first and also as the competition is intensifies you may get different competitors that come into this space not just uh, independent brands but independent companies like yourself but perhaps even luxury brands who who start that maybe how what is your opinion and how do you plan to compete in the future i mean firstly as a sustainable advocate i think it's so exciting to see that and i do think it's a really great time in fashion and for me one of the things that i love the most about about my role is it's so innovative and it's we're always evolving and, and growing and i think sustainability now with every industry is enforcing that if you didn't do that you now have to do that and you have to kind of rethink the ways you did things and and try new ways to to change your offering and, and that's going to be the same for brands and retailers i mean they will and they are but they will have to evolve from what's always been that linear product sale to actually bringing on the circular side. And, and this happened when we went from bricks and mortar to digital, everyone had to figure out how are we going to do that? And now that is second nature. And I think that will be the case with circular fashion. I think for, for resale has had an amazing moment. It's, you know, continuing to grow. I buy a lot of my items secondhand. So I, I love that market and that access. Rental, again, is, is really getting the spotlight. And I think repair is now having its moment. And what is so important with repair is actually essentially repair unlocks circular fashion. So for something to be resold or, or rented, it must be desirable and, and you know functional. Those are two yeah. key things when you're gonna buy something. And ultimately that's done with care, cleaning, repair, whatever part under the aftercare umbrella is needed to make that kind of extend its lifespan. And that's the same if you want to keep it and reuse it yourself. So for me, I think repair is, is recognized that now it's starting to have its, its understanding of the opportunity, but I think it's far greater than I think anyone can even envisage right now. And, you know, as we look at producer extended responsibilities and in Europe, they launched the right to repair for white goods and, we're going to see this legislation really kind of tighten that up and and at the same time items are going to be on the market for much longer with you know resale and rental and they're going to be expected to to last with a lot more reuse and and, and sharing across the um, economy and I think brands will understand actually you want those to live on and, and live on in a good condition to prove the value and the worth of investing in them in the first place so for me it's exciting I think seeing competitors come in just further proves the space. I mean, it's, we were the only ones for a long time. <laughs> um, and we were very early, we've had to prove and change a lot. I think what really sets us apart is, you know, we have really decided we are not going to be, you know, the delivery of we're not just going to connect 
you with a repairer out there we're gonna own that full experience and that to be honest is actually one of the hardest challenges we had in the business so when we started out we you started everything with well how are we going to do this and actually what it what it meant was there was no technology yeah. so all technology is pretty much built for that linear sale um so you, you know you've got all your e-commerce sites um and actually there is no technology for aftercare and even if you look at that in a uh, sort of industry agnostic way there is no technology for aftercare so when you go and get your car repaired or your watch or anything you usually you know you're dry cleaning you're given a paper ticket and you remember where you dropped it off when maybe you get a call what you need to do to your car you agree it on the phone you know you go back you pay by card actually that process has not been digitized and the technology has not been built to do that so our biggest challenge is is now essentially our biggest asset um and we've built what what it is is kind of four products as a technology platform with the unique knowledge that we have that no one else has to be able to enable this at scale and right now that technology was crucial for us to build the business and it's how we've operated but what it means is with all our learnings and everything we've developed now brands and retailers can leverage that from us and and the same with aftercare businesses i mean we would now be happy to license that out to enable everyone to scale aftercare and just as you would license from salesforce for crm or you know zendesk for your customer service or shopify or magento for your e-commerce the rest of your technology will be the platform you can use for aftercare and you know it's completely brand agnostic and product agnostic and that's the crucial piece to to scale aftercare because that's what the industry has been missing and i think that's you know what we've really had the challenge to build but now are are in a great position because that's what enables our scale and us to to fulfill at the commercial scale that these brands and businesses will need to do and regarding the future as i'm uh, listening to you speak i'm thinking would you the licensing the technology to other brands that's genius to be honest with you that's one way for you to build your sustainable competitive advantage yes yeah. other people other brands it will be more difficult for them to copy you but regarding the future when i look at your company i think would you one day where do you see the future for a story do you think you will be you can be bought out at some point do you plan on doing that so for us as a business our biggest mission is enabling aftercare at scale empowering the aftercare industry for fashion so for us that that is the ultimate mission and we whilst we will license out that technology for some of the brands that will want to keep that aftercare in house so we don't see it as a competitive you know they you know how will they compete with us we actually are not disrupting the industry for us we're very much enabling so the brand may want to keep that in house and we fully respect that and we can then just provide them with the tools to be able to do that and for some of the brands and especially retailers who maybe the brands are too small to take on that operational complexity because you still have to manage the process you know the technology provides a lot more automation and ease and reduces the overheads and improves customer service but you will still have a team looking after aftercare and not every brand will be able to do that so we'll still provide that partner and full solution for retailers and brands 
that look to have that provided again so we can enable them to have access to aftercare in the future if that means that you know there is interest from a business to acquire us or or to look at how we can work together to kind of deepen that relationship of course you know we're open to that the mission is is ultimately enabling that access to aftercare and whatever that takes in the future we're, we're completely open but for us it's 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 global scale it's kind of global domination for aftercare and making sure no one ever has to say again well where are we going to take this or how do I fix this or you know and 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 everyone can have that trusted place to go to and how do I become your customer so yeah I told you <laughs> before we started the podcast I told you I have these clothes and shoes for example my wedding shoes they are white and I always think I just want to change the color. And yes. they, I, I am actually keeping a couple of items. As I told you, I'm based in Paris and say to myself, when COVID is over, when the travel, we can travel again, I'm going to London. And these are the clothes and shoes I'm bringing <laughs> to <laughs> So the good news is you don't have to wait for anything. We come to you. So when we launched, we launched worldwide. Our partners and, and currently our, our teams are in the UK. That does mean for now we do ship everything to the UK. Um, we do, you know, offset all the carbon. We recognize that that is not the ultimate goal. And as we continue to scale, we can then set up any kind of in-territory fulfillment centers to make sure that we are not shipping everything. So that's very much like an interim. And, and to be honest, it was demand because everyone all over the world saying, I have nothing like this in America, or I don't have this in France, as you've just said. So yes. we wanted to make sure people were enabled. So what the way that it works is you can go to our website, you simply book a collection from your home, wherever you are. Um, so for Paris, for example, in France, our collection fee is 21 euros. That covers all your customs, duties, wow. um, and then we provide the return complimentary. So you can put as much as you want in that box. The only time it changes a little bit is if you've got exotics, and that requires some more documentation and CITES for import-export. So that does will have a little bit more of an impact on costs and processes that our team can help with. But otherwise, it's just 21 euros. You book, you pick your day. You make payment on the site and it's pretty much instant. And then we'll email you with your shipping label. You package it up in a box. We arrange the collection from the address that you've put in on the day that you've chosen. Uh, and then once it arrives in our offices, what we do is, is we uh, provide you with a confirmation of arrivals. So we take photographs, you know, the condition it's arrived in and let you know we've securely got everything. And then we'll provide you with quotes. So, if you already know, for example, you know, I want to dye my satin shoes, then that's your quote. You can then pick the color that we have. Or if you want a bespoke color, there's a different price for that. So we've got 20 colors, which are amazing. So you can definitely yes. have your selection. If someone is matching something specific to a dress or something that they've got unique, then we offer the bespoke option as well. And then everything is sent to you in the quote. That quote is digitized. And, and again, this goes back to the technology piece that I touched on. That's everything that we've had to build. So we've built that experience to be really simple, like an e-commerce experience, what we're all used to. So you have your baskets, you have your items underneath, you have a service and we break it down. You know, you may not want every service for every item. We don't bundle it. So you're confused mm -hmm. about what you're getting and you can remove any of the services you don't want to have. You're told how long it will take. So you're super clear before you go ahead. 
And then once you approve, you make payment. And then again, the next piece of technology is where we just automatically distribute the services along our trade partners to make sure that we actually fulfill them in the timeline that we've given you. And that runs through to all our internal and external partners. And that technology enables them access and information to automate and, and provide the service that you've asked for because um, they will be split among experts. So, you know, those doing a resole will not be doing the dyeing of the satin. That will be a different team. He'll be doing the cleaning. That will be different. He'll be doing the stitching. So making sure that we've got the experts in, in each of those kind of services and fields. And then once it's ready, we let you know and we package it up beautifully with, you know, it's all about falling in love with it again. So we've got wow. um, branded tissue and ribbons and, you know, we want you to enjoy that luxury experience. And then we send it back. I'm just like already doing a mental list. <laughs> this is what I will send. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is whatever booking you do, you can put as much in that box as you want. So that's a flat fee for us. That's and exceptional. I recommend you fill it. <laughs> yes, you know, I was also going to say, let's imagine that I decide to go to a shoe repair place by the time I take an Uber, it will cost me 21 euro here just in Paris. And you, I, I, I didn't know this. I'm, this is exceptional yeah. service. Really. Yes. And, and I think that's the crucial part, you know, going back to sustainability in the industry. Like you can't, I, I really don't believe in just berating everyone for doing things wrong. It's, it's not the way that we're going to change. And what we've done is, is really work to make aftercare aspirational, desirable, easy, like, you know, you just referred to Uber. We do want everything at the touch of a button on our phone. We don't want the frustration of going to one place for a cobbler and another and for a dry cleaner and another for, and you don't know who to trust and you have to, we want to make it easy. And I think making that accessible and, and fun as well, like getting it back and unwrapping, unboxing, you know, for us, it's like unboxing, like it's new again. Um, is, is a really amazing experience to then have you want to take care of your items. And I think if we just spend the whole time saying, why don't you take care of your items? It's this much waste. It's this. It's this. You're, you're not going to be excited to do that. And yeah. I do you think that's a really exciting thing now with the sustainable brands we see coming out? They're, they're desire You want them and then they're sustainable. But ultimately, you still really want them. You're not only buying them because they're sustainable. You're, you get the best of both. And I think that's how we really change. Absolutely. And what does sustainability mean to you? So I think for me personally, I definitely see it as having a responsibility. And I think for me, I'm very conscious and, you know, I'm not perfect. I think everyone has to accept they're not. No one's going to be perfect about this. But what I try to do is be very conscious about what I buy. And inherently in my family, we've always been pretty passionate about repair. I mean, my dad will not let anything that's broken not go to him first, whether that's your glasses, the coffee machine, <laughs> anything. It's, you know, we can give it to dad and he'll try and do it. At the same time, my mum is amazing. Uh, she used to make a lot of our clothes. So whenever it comes to, you know, sewing or, or alterations or things like that, we would always go to her for a bit of help. And I think that inherent feeling and, and they've both really instilled in us, you know, you, if you're going to buy it, you have to take care of it. And, and we've really learned to in, invest in things and, and own them. And I mean, I've had my car for like 15 years now. And I think my sister and I just are both in that mindset that we, we keep our things for a long time. We take care yeah. of them. And I think it's just applying that to everything and therefore being a bit more conscious about where you do put your money. 
and I think you know it's not always going to be easy I mean I absolutely love to travel and that is not a sustainable part of it and I know that there is a negative impact from that so I think it's it's also trying to balance out where you can be more sustainable and, and really being conscious about that and I think from a business point of view it's, it's exactly what I said before it's it's actually you know at the core you want to be sustainable and, and you know we we repair we don't make any products so inherently we are but also make it desirable make it fun make it a yeah. brand that people want to invest in and engage with and 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 be part of uh, and that's how you'll inspire them to become more sustainable instead of just telling them you know they're doing it wrong and I think one of the things also with sustainability which is hard is the balance of of greenwashing but alongside mm-hmm. also businesses trying to do the right thing and you know no one starts in a perfect place and I think you know we, we need to be careful that we don't just berate everyone if they're not doing it perfectly from day one we, we all have to work through this together and it's it's a lot of change and I think there's a lot we can learn and, and technology and, and development will really help us get there. This is very interesting what you are saying like several of, of, of the points you are making one is about greenwashing because I consult some brands on sustainability and with my own leather brand as well I've just received the positive luxury certification Amazing. Thank you. I was talking to Chris Markey from University of Cambridge. He's a professor and he specializes, one of his research areas is sustainability. And with him, we talked about how when you go through the certification process, you know, there is, of course, that uh, criticism, whether the brands are doing greenwashing or whether they've just signed up some document, uh, whether how much of it is marketing and PR. But on the other hand, I know from companies I consult and I know from myself, the second you go through that certification process, whether your intention was maybe it will make the brand more desirable, maybe you had interest in sustainability, whatever it was, I've seen it again and again. It makes you do better. Yeah. Business. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I've experienced it myself as well. Like, Of course, the entire business was built on sustainability, my business. But now, after the certification process, I became much more mindful, much more mindful, not just about sourcing of raw materials or innovation or technology and how that can help us become more sustainable, but even for ethical things. Yeah how businesses should think, how the CEOs and founders should behave and yeah. what sustainability really means today. Yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting. And your point about berating, it's, we just became invested in a company that is going to measure the sustainability, how sustainable we are as brands. Amazing. I can't describe it very well. The founders are doing much better job than me. But one of the things they say is is also very much what you are saying. We can't. It's not about berating. It's about teaching. It's yeah. we are all learning, and that's exactly right. We are all learning. As long as the intention is to want to do better, I think we will be on the right path. I totally agree, completely. And I think you know, again, it's it's about the process that you go through and what you understand, and also where you can do it in your business. You know. As I mentioned before, we are very aware of, of where 
we are falling down and and I, I don't believe offsetting carbon is the answer. That's that's yeah. a temporary solution. Yeah. But the ambition is when the volume is there, we can then set up in a country and keep it there and we won't have to ship things. At the same time, the decision is it's better to offer the repair than have that just go to landfill and waste in, in that country when we can offset it in the meantime. So I think it's also having that roadmap and knowing where you can make those changes, but but making sure you've got ideas in between of how to improve, even if it's not the end goal, understanding where those changes can come in and, and, and what business requirements you need to enable those changes. But yeah, I think I think that and that again is a really exciting thing in, in the fashion industry right now. It's so much learning, isn't it? I mean, I cannot imagine the process, how much you learned and, and understanding what's needed and innovating to get to those places is um I think that's a really amazing part. That's the bit I really love about what we're all doing at this stage. No, it's it's very true. So I want to ask more like lighthearted questions. <laughs> I because several of our listeners, many of our listeners, they also are curious about I know from the questions I get and comments I get, they want to start their own businesses or they've just started their own fashion business. So my question has to do with more now about fashion business and you being the entrepreneur. What is a typical day like for you? A typical day is completely varied. And I think every founder will say the same. I also then, you know, work as, as a founder, but then my my role in the business is focused on marketing and business development, which is also incredibly varied. So from anything from, you know, photo shoots and video shoots to capturing content, launching our brand partners. So, you know, we just launched a pop-up with Harrods. So going in in store and having all the um, visual merchandise in place and, and signing that off on the day of launch through to pitching with brands and, and working with them to, to enable access to aftercare and provide the solutions they need, to pitching to investors and raising money to, to continue to grow the business. So, I mean, every day is totally different. I think the only way you can continue, you'll always have too much on your to-do list. So for me, the best thing is I, I sort of block out chunks of time in my diary if they're not, you know, when I have space between meetings to specifically work on things and I think that's the only way I can continue to do it otherwise there's always too much to do and you can end up not getting anything done so I have to be quite diligent with my time and my diary <laughs> I know I know how that that is <laughs> <laughs> you know you are in marketing and business development I'm just curious in the early days how did you build brand awareness how did you promote the brand so I think in other businesses, that role can really split. I think in our business, and it might just be because I, I started by doing both, but it, it really feeds into one another. So, you know, when we really launched the business, the marketing was so key. And that is the real brand, building the brand and the content and positioning that as a luxury brand. And, you know, the first shoot I did, um, you know, five years ago. I couldn't find a single reference online to give the photographer because no one had done clean shoots for aftercare. After if when you you know five years ago, every kind of repair and everything was in a, a quite a dirty workshop with yeah. piles of things. It was never but you know a luxury, beautiful, you know desirable image. And you know I worked uh, really closely with an old friend of mine who who we still work with today. We you know I, I do build those relationships to last and. She still does all our content and is incredible. 
Uh, and we work closely to develop that kind of content and, and focus. And that's, you know, obviously how we now shoot everything for our Instagram and our professional shots. And, and I think that was really setting us apart, that unique content, um, you know, the branding, the logo, the, the style, all of that side really set us apart. And then through there, you know, having the, the capabilities, we were able then to work closely with lots of journalists who, you know, I demand we've always seen from day one in the market. So every journalist, as soon as we were able to say, we can do all of this, it was amazing. And, and press yeah. then was a really strong um, way for us to kind of endorse the business and prove that trust. And then ultimately, you know, we're a service business. So referral and repeat are key. And uh, when you find a good business you can trust for a service, the first thing you do is tell all your friends about it. And you say, oh my God, you have to try this. This is amazing. And I think that's always been a really strong marketing tool for us. And then outside of that, I mean, yeah, social media, as you've said. So yep. we're nearly, you know, 200,000 followers on Instagram and everyone loves sort of watching those videos. Exactly, <laughs> It's addictive. Um, so uh, organically, I think, you know, the business has has really kind of, built itself and continues to grow in that sense and and then as most businesses digital advertising I mean most of our customers are actively looking for a solution yeah um, and so for us you know and I think for anyone starting a business you want to understand who that audience is and you know are they a passive audience and you're sharing you know inspirational clothing and product or are they an active audience looking for something and you've got the solution and for us you know most people are searching where do I repair Christian Louboutin shoes or something specific that they need and and therefore our digital advertising we we focus on uh, Google AdWords but again within that it's it's so important to make sure your tone of voice and your brand comes through you know because you you want to hit the right audience but you also don't want the frustration of someone coming to you and, and expecting something totally different and I think when you can build that brand that's quite clear throughout everything, that's when everybody knows who you are and you become recognisable and people um, know what to expect. And that's really the best experience you can then deliver. And finally, what advice would you give for anyone who wants to start a business, particularly in the fashion and luxury industry? I would say you just have to start. Um, every business pivots and you learn from things and you change ways that you do things and it ne I think as soon as you decide you're not going to change anything, that is when you know that you're destined to fail. So you have to be willing to constantly evolve and change. I think my biggest advice, which um, I'm really obsessed with, is tracking data. And from day one, as much as you might think, you know, but I've only got five Instagram followers, just, just start a document, put it in, you know, at the beginning, I only tracked monthly. And, you know, it really helps because then suddenly if you you see an increase or a decrease you can track it back well what happened then mm. um, and you can learn from what's not working to what's working um you also get to look back I mean I look back at you know when I see my documents where we started to the numbers we are today it's it's good sometimes to understand how far you've come but also you, you still want to progress and always improve and I think data is if you're making data-driven decisions that is for me like the the most imperative thing to do as a business very interesting. Thank you so much, Emily. It was a, such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having me. This is my first podcast as well. Oh, really? Wow. It is. <laughs> I didn't know that.
Yeah, thank you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. I am going on your website now. I'm filling in my order. I'm being serious. Perfect. I have my, Perfect. Shoes, my wedding shoes and many other things in my closet that I'm going to now go through. Perfect. Please tell me how you find the experience. I look forward I to seeing what colour you dye your shoes. Pink. Pink. Oh my God, amazing. There's a really good pink colour on our site. So if you have a look, yes. we've got the dyeing satin shoes and you can have a look at the colours. There's 20. I will. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Right. Have a lovely day. Bye. You too. Hope you've enjoyed listening to our conversation. Next week, I'm going to talk about tips on how to build a successful career in fashion. Please make sure to tune in.